this starts. Hello, and welcome to Play This, a podcast where two old friends recommend video games to each other and have in-depth discussions about them. I'm Daniel. And I'm Sean. And welcome to the video game news drought of October 2018. It sure is dry here <laughs> in these parts. Uh-huh. I can't find a single <laughs> news. Is is this a record for us doing a podcast together and you doing a stupid voice? Like... I don't rightly know, partner. <laughs> well, shucks. Yeah. My horse done died. He didn't have news to graze on. There's a snake in my boot. Oh, somebody's poisoning <laughs> the news hole. So, so hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Play This. We we haven't had a, a lot of announcements uh, this month. This is kind of the post-Tokyo Game Show drought, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, actually... Uh, you know, I, I've assembled some stuff to talk about, and 100% of it is rumors or leaks. <laughs> there haven't been any really super newsworthy, noteworthy official announcements. Well, let's dig into those rumors. Yeah. Uh, so first up, a Wall Street Journal report mm-hmm. uh, stated uh, that's also connected to a Nikkei report, I think. Oh, uh, Japanese, okay. uh Japanese publishing. Stock market, thing. right? Yeah. Um that a new model of the Nintendo Switch is in development, and it will release sometime in the second half of 2019, which means potentially as soon as next summer. Okay. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, that sounds about right for Nintendo. Okay. And it it, it basically depends on how drastic the change is. If it's mm-hmm. just like kind of a... Like, the shape's different, and the screen's bigger, and there's more hard drive space. Right, like the DS Lite, if you will, of yeah. the Nintendo Switch. Right, yeah. Like, I, I think if it's just that level change, that's fine. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Be, be happy. Whatever. But if it's, like, a new Switch XL, and there's exclusive games for it, right. I'm going to throw a fit. <laughs> yeah, like, if the processing power is better, and, like, if it's the PS4 Pro of Switches... Mm-hmm. I'll be a, a little bummed out, mm-hmm. you know, like because I I've had the system for I guess at that point well, two two and a half years I guess is mm. is not that bad, but you on the other hand, you bought yeah. your Switch last month. I did. So that's that's always kind of a bummer. As as far as the the details of the report, the only thing that we can really say for sure that they're changing and that's if we can say any of this for sure. Which we probably can, as a side note. Uh, Wall Street Journal and Nikkei are usually pretty accurate with their reports. Okay. So this is probably a real thing that's happening. If it doesn't happen, it's probably just because plans changed and not mm-hmm. because these plans don't exist. But the only thing they that the report says for sure is that the system will have a different screen. Like the screen on the tablet part of the system itself mm-hmm. will probably be nicer somehow. Okay. Yeah. Well, good for people who are getting that version of the system. I guess you'll get to just enjoy a nice screen. Yeah. I guess if we get that Switch revision, what would you want them to change? What is, like, one thing about your Switch that you could see improving, that you would like to see improved? You know, what's funny about that is that I'm actually pretty okay with the hardware of the Switch. Yeah, yeah. Um, However... 
this is something that I've kind of noticed lately as I've used my Switch. Mm. I think that relative to other kind of like meta menus, mm-hmm. like just kind of the menus that you use to navigate, say, like uh, the Wii or the Wii U or the, uh, you know, 3DS or whatever. Right. Where you're like selecting what game you want to play or, or whatever. Yeah. The Switches feels kind of cheap to me somehow. Uh, yeah. It almost feels like you're you're navigating like a flash game or something. <laughs> the the UI is very exactly. simple. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I do like the kind of Nintendo charm that you get, where there's like some jaunty menu music and yeah. cute animations. I miss that a little bit. I think we'll eventually get there. The Wii U menu, the Wii U Shop Channel and stuff used to not have music either, right? Uh, but now it always has music. So I think I think we'll get there with the Switch. I think the UI will improve over time because that's that's been kind of the thing for Nintendo platforms as of late. You know, like right. the like the Wii U UI uh, at the end of its that, lifespan. That's a weird thing to have to say. Yeah, the Wii U uh, UI at the <laughs> the Wii the Wii at the end of its lifespan uh, was actually like pretty different than the Wii. At the beginning of its lifespan, that same... is like that's like a Star Trek language. Like, ah, greetings, Commander. We U U I. That we U U I to you as well, Worf. Anyway, I thought you were like, yeah, hey, yes, First Commander Wooey is here. <laughs> right, he's here to. Ah, yes, it's Wooey from the planet We U U I. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a given, and that'll probably change like across like Switch. SKUs, you know, like I think even our old Switch, our old dusty, obsolete Switch will will get some nice UI changes. Well, I've had her for a while, but she's a loyal old girl with a brand new coat of UI paint. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, it's an alien. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I'd appreciate that. It would be it would be kind of cool if like. They were like, hey, here's the new Switch, and also we're fixing up the UI. Download this patch. Yeah, that'd be and nice. Roughly around the same time. Yeah, I could see that happening. If I were to change an aspect of the hardware, talking mm-hmm. about the actual, like, you know, talking about an actual Switch remodel, sure. I would change the stand. Uh, oh, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, the stand say, feels very cheap. Yeah, this, the stand's a little flimsy, and I would do something where A, like, the stand is sturdier, and B, uh, It'd be a bit closer to like the center, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you could, and it's adjustable, so you can make the stand either horizontal or vertical. Ah, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, another thing that I would love for them to fix with the stand is maybe this is just me. I have a very hard time pulling it out. Yeah. Like every time I pull it out, I'm thinking to myself, like I'm going to break this fucking thing if I yeah. pull any harder, and then it pops out. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. I I think I actually have broken the stand once or twice at this point. <laughs> broken in quotations, as right. in like I I like it pops out of the system, and then I have to like I see wiggle it back in. Like it's never like permanently broken, but uh, it does kind of. Yeah, it does kind of remove itself from the system a little easily, mm-hmm. and uh, that that always makes me a little nervous. I wouldn't mind if, like, the Switch itself was, like, the screen part of it, the tablet part, was, like, a little bigger. Yeah. Obviously, like, it's... Because its portability is already to a point where it's never going in anyone's pocket except for Sean's because he has these giant-ass pants. I really can fit it in my pocket. It's glorious. But since since they can only fit in the pocket of your weird pants, (laughs) uh, they might as well make it a little bigger, you know? Like, maybe make it... 
closer to an iPad size. Okay. Uh, because like when I'm when I'm out playing it portable, what I like to do is like you know put it on its stand and like sit like a couple feet away from it and right. play. And uh, and sometimes things are hard to see when I do that. Sure, sure. Uh, so if it was a little bigger, keep that, get some good visual fidelity going. Yeah. I actually, um, when I was initially playing Octopath Traveler, I tried to do it like that, where I would like set the system up on like a table, and then yeah. I'd be holding the Joy-Cons and I'd play. Right, right. And you can't read the text. Yeah, Because yeah. it's clearly designed to be read on like a TV in 1080p. Yeah. So you're just sitting there like, what the fuck is she saying? Is it yeah. what? The, the zombies? What? <laughs> um and so that would be very nice to be yeah. able to actually you know read things yes i i'm saying this by the way as a man who has 2020 vision yeah uh, so so fix that shit yeah my i should be wearing glasses but i don't because my vision is just good enough that i can generally get by without them that's true he's not wearing glasses right now blink 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 whoa yeah <laughs> but yeah i i do i do think that the report is legit Getting a new one in the second half of 2019 makes a lot of sense for both Nintendo and kind of the game industry in general right sure. now. So yeah, I I think that'll happen. So I I hope I hope that it doesn't make my Switch feel too old when right. it's announced. I hope it'll be nice for for newcomers to to buy that shit, but not something that makes me feel like I jumped the gun. Yeah, you want to, you know, you don't want to be like uh, jealous of the new Switch. You just yeah. want to be appreciative. You want to be like, oh, hey, that's a pretty nice stand. Dang, ooh, I like your screen, my friend. Good stuff. <laughs> you want to be like that rotten son of a guy. <laughs> I can't believe that it's in HD and you could Mario pops out and he's 3D. Ah, you're right. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> so, the next rumor that's that's been flying around is that Microsoft is in talks to acquire Obsidian Entertainment to bring uh, Obsidian Entertainment, this developer that's made a lot of, like, pretty renowned mm -hmm. RPGs, both, like, both like cult and, like, really popular. They've done, uh, they've done the South Park games. Right. They've done Fallout New Vegas. Are they Baldur's Gate? Uh, they were not Baldur's Gate. They were Neverwinter Nights 2. Oh! Ah, okay. But not Neverwinter Nights 1. They were also Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, but not <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic 1 because that was Bioware. Right. Um yeah, they they kind of they kind of seem to do like a lot of twos. A lot of twos, yeah. Uh they did Alpha Protocol, did I already say that one? Ah, you didn't. That's interesting. Yeah, and um and very recently they did Pillars of Eternity. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, like a lot of a lot of good games of cities made. They tend to be have really great concepts and really great like gameplay and choices and stuff, mm -hmm. but they also always have at least some level of like jank. Yes, Knights of the Old Republic two in particular is kind of notorious for that. I believe you need a patch to essentially make it playable. Right. Yes. Yeah. Nevertheless, that's definitely a get for Microsoft. Yeah, for sure. Basically, Kotaku reported this. Mm -hmm. They have some anonymous sources that told them that the deal is 90% done. Okay. And that it's a matter of when, not if. Mm -hmm. uh, they reached out to both Microsoft and Obsidian for comment. Microsoft just said, we do not comment on speculation or rumors. Right. Obsidian Entertainment, a spokesperson for Obsidian, said, 
Unfortunately, we don't comment on rumors or speculation other than to say the Rumors album by Fleetwood Mac still holds up. <laughs> That's an official statement from City and Entertainment. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm going to miss that guy when Microsoft lets him go. <laughs> And actually, that, that that's kind of a good segue, I think, into uh, kind of the reason I picked this story, which is, are acquisitions good, mm-hmm. basically, you know? And I think, I don't know, like, do you, do you think that this acquisition will be good for Obsidian? You know, uh, I, I think that Microsoft has been in a good headspace lately. Yeah. They've been making a lot of, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, gamer-centric decisions, like uh, things that are beneficial to consumers. Yes. So I think that it is entirely possible that this acquisition will lead to some good stuff that people want, in particular fans of kind of Obsidian's older work. Yeah. Speaking more broadly, uh, you know, I think that whether an acquisition is good or not depends on which company is snapping up which company and whether I trust them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like if EA were picking up Obsidian and be like, ah, shit. Yeah, it's, exactly. It. It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because uh, for starters, I think that if 2011 Microsoft was acquiring Obsidian mm-hmm. instead of 2018 Microsoft, I'd be a lot more nervous because yeah. you're right. Microsoft has, they've seen sort of the crosshairs on them and they've been doing a lot better lately, mm-hmm. you know? Like, every decision I see Microsoft made has been one where, like, kind of not approvingly lately. Right. But, like, a a lot of acquisitions, especially looking at EA, you know, have been kind of horror stories. Mm -hmm. Like, like they just kind of murdered their Dead Space division, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, They... Who was... Who were making a new Star Wars game. They're making a new Star Wars game. Right. They just dismantled the whole thing. Uh, You know, Bioware is staking their entire remaining reputation on the release of Anthem. <laughs> right. And fucking Westwood, the guys that make the Command and Conquer games, they announced Command and Conquer Rivals, a free to play mm-hmm. mobile game using the IP, and it was the laughing stock of this year's E3. Yeah, that just looked like a fucking mess. Yeah, it does it does nothing <laughs> that people who actually like Command and Conquer want. So you know, I think acquisitions can be kind of scary, but I think when it's the right company being acquired by the right company, it can be really cool. Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite acquisition? Monolith Soft being acquired by Nintendo. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the exact kind of acquisition that's perfect. A a smaller developer that has a lot of potential being bought by a company that can give it the budget and mm-hmm. the and the resources to give those games the polish that they need and deserve. Yeah. Um like Monolith Soft was a solid development company, but it has made its best games under Nintendo. Absolutely. Including and, what is widely regarded to be possibly the greatest RPG of all time, if not one of the greatest. Oh, Xenoblade Chronicles is a masterpiece it's it's real good oh man uh max lando i hope you're playing that at home because i'm guilt tripping you on your (laughs) own podcast get fucked uh we miss you we do we really do do you uh do you have a favorite acquisition um i think that Sega acquiring Atlas went pretty well, right? 
like uh, by and large. I mean, it seems like the Atlas has just continued doing whatever it wants. <laughs> for uh, for the most part, there have definitely been some things that Atlas has done that made me go like, ah, Sega! <laughs> uh, like the the fact that any RPG that Atlas puts out for the PS4, uh, you can't use the PS4's in-firmware recording feature right. past a certain point of the story. Um, that feels like kind of a Sega thing. And they actually like changed leadership at Atlas and made it like a Sega guy recently. Mm. But but you're right, it could have gone way worse. Yeah, and you know, I mean, ultimately if it's between like Sega acquiring Atlas or like Atlas maybe not having the budget or the manpower or whatever to yeah. do the stuff they've been doing. Right. Altogether I'm okay with things how things have gone. Yeah, and actually like the Atlas being owned by Sega has resulted in some cool things like Atlas kind of being in charge of localizations of Yakuza games. Right. And Yakuza coincidentally has blown up in the States since that happened. <laughs> right. So I, I think whether or not Sega has been good for Atlas, I'm not sure, but Atlas has been good for Sega. That's for sure. Okay. I actually have an interesting question. Oh, um, ask me. Take each of the big three, right? Yep. Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. If you were somehow the head of the acquisition department oh, shit. of all three, and oh. you had to, you had to pick a smaller developer with a lot of promise for each of them to acquire. Mm-hmm. What would your picks be? Ooh, that's a that's a good tough question. Uh okay. So, let's say I'm uh the director of acquisitions at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I know that uh with the uh, increasing popularity of the Fire Emblem franchise, Fire Emblem Heroes being what a money spinner it is. Yeah, yeah. Nintendo has really kind of tapped into the weeb market, right? Like, they've kind of got that down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would snap up Nipponichi Software. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's not a bad pick. And then just have them release all their weird shit on the Nintendo Switch exclusively. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's, man, that's, a, that's not a bad pick at all. Thank yeah. You. I would actually go in kind of the opposite direction. Okay. Um, I would have them pick up high-voltage software. High-voltage software are these guys that have, like, made a lot of They've done a lot of license titles, but they've also done stuff like, do you remember the Conduit on the Wii? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right, like a uh-huh. like a a really solid first person shooter right. that that actually kind of somehow managed to have some pretty good looking graphics for the Wii, right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they were able to really use their use the technology in an impressive way, and a that was one thing that was kind of a standard about Monolith Soft that made them acquire them. And I think uh, I think one of the gaps that Nintendo has is like mature Western games, right? right? Mature Western developed games. Sure. They kind of got a lot of wacky Japanese stuff going <laughs> on at their current studios already. So I think like get them making stuff that Nintendo isn't really proficient at, stuff like first person shooters mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing, um, and like fill out their portfolio that way. Okay. Now you go first for Sony while I think about it. <clears throat> okay. Sony, I think, okay, so my first thought was actually level five. Oh, that's a good one. But I don't think level five needs Sony. You okay. know, I think okay. they're I think they're making that in Azuma Eleven and that Yokai Watch money. Mm-hmm. They don't really need Sony that bad. Sure. But here's here's one, and actually this would be a great Nintendo acquisition too. Really, whoever acquires these guys is is doing good, <laughs> I think. Okay. Um Mistwalker. 
Ah. So yeah. so Mistwalker are the developers of some excellent 360-slash-Wii-era RPGs. Mm-hmm. They made Lost Odyssey for the 360. Right. One of the best exclusives that system has to date. Uh, such a good RPG. Uh, I call it the best Final Fantasy game <laughs> uh, released during the PS3 era, except it wasn't released on the PS3, and it's not a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> that's That's what I say about Lost Odyssey, and it's still so good. They also made... The Last Story for the Wii, another uh, very critically acclaimed RPG. Mm -hmm. And then they ran out of money and made smartphone games for Mm -hmm. the last 10 years. Yeah. And one thing that's worth noting is that Mistwalker is headed by Hironobu Sakaguchi, a hilarious man. Yes. And also the man that is the father of the Final Fantasy franchise. But primarily a hilarious man. Primarily a hilarious man. So really... I think Nintendo or Sony, or really even Microsoft, would really benefit from grabbing this guy and having him make AAA RPGs again. Okay. Yeah. That's that's my thought. Now, I guess... Uh, so, your, what's your Sony pick? I've been having some trouble with Sony. Mm-hmm. So... Because, for starters, Sony has a pretty good, like, spread of yeah. shit. Yeah. So, I'm just going to say this completely outlandish thing that came to my mind... And this is assuming that I, as the all-powerful acquisitions director of Sony, have do not have to take a budget under consideration at all. Okay. Just to snap up whatever third-party company I want. Okay. Capcom. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to say some <laughs> shit like that. Like, I, I was trying to exclude companies that have already acquired their own companies. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I... Uh, uh, that that would be a get for Capcom. Like they've already got Resident Evil, they've already got Monster Hunter World, they've already got mm-hmm. Street Fighter Five. You're right; they really should just acquire Capcom yeah, at just this like point. Consolidated, yeah, because Capcom's best output is on is on PlayStation platforms. Mm-hmm. At the same time, since they're already doing that without being acquired, like why why does Sony need to spend another couple billion dollars? Because I'm the director of acquisitions at Sony. Okay, uh, say your Microsoft thing now. If I were the all-powerful acquisitions director of Microsoft, and I wanted to add something to my stable of Xbox shit, mm-hmm. I would purchase Supergiant Games, Ooh. the creators of Bastion, Transistor, and of course Pyre. Oh, that one's so good! One of all-time favorite. Oh, games. that one's so good. Ooh. I think that they really fit into Microsoft's kind of niche. Yes. Uh, and I think that with the uh, budget that Microsoft might be able to afford them, we could really see some interesting stuff from them. Oh, yeah. No, that would be incredible. Super Giant Games with the AAA budget. Oh, man, I'd love to see that game. Yeah. I would love to see that game. So a thought just occurred to me, actually, okay. for Microsoft. But it, what it actually occurred to me for was Sony. So <laughs> instead of Sony acquiring Mistwalker, yeah. Microsoft acquires Mistwalker. Okay. I think that, A, it's a better fit with more precedent because, you know, Miss Walker made Lost Odyssey sure. as an exclusive for Microsoft. And, B, Microsoft needs JRPGs more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, Sony's got plenty of JRPG developers, but Microsoft uh, Microsoft has that as kind of a gap again. So I think Microsoft acquiring Miss Walker would be a bigger get for Microsoft, and we'd see some great shit. Sony should acquire... Iron Galaxy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Iron. Yeah, yeah Iron Galaxy. Uh, a, they're fucking great at making ports. Actually, like, uh, 
that would that would be kind of a loss for a lot of people them acquiring Iron Galaxy mm-hmm. because Iron Galaxy has been making some amazing Switch ports. Right. Uh, they did the Switch port of Skyrim. Um, wow. Yeah, they like really maybe Nintendo should acquire them instead. But <laughs> stop playing a shell game. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're just all such good acquisitions. Um, but I think Sony would uh, would also benefit a lot from from just Iron Galaxy because they're good at developing their own games. They made they made seasons two and three of the Killer Instinct fighting game, the brand new one. Right. And they did a really great job with that. Yeah, they did. Um, so what I would do is have Sony buy Iron Galaxy and have Iron Galaxy make the next Ape Escape. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, I think they do a great job, especially with like a triple A budget and and so it comes full circle. <laughs> this entire thought experiment all leads to apes. <laughs> did, did it start with apes or no? No, I I just love Ape Escape so much that that's exactly. how I, every this conversation is, it's coming full circle for your whole life. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think those are some good picks. Yeah. Uh, I think I want to button up this Obsidian Entertainment being acquired by Microsoft discussion by hypothesizing why Microsoft is acquiring Obsidian, what Obsidian is going to make under Microsoft. Do you have any thoughts? Hmm. An RPG? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I have one big thought, and I'm sure I'm not the only person to have this thought. Okay. Fable. Oh, I think they're going to revive the Fable franchise, and okay. Obsidian's going to head it up. Just kick Peter Molyneux right out of there. I mean, he's been kicked right out <laughs> right, of there. No, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah he he's been sitting on a street corner with a cardboard sign that says "Will make blocks for you to push," and then the blocks inside the blocks will be pushable until you get a special prize. For pushing so many blocks, it's amazing. Believe it, you'll you'll be amazed for money. Well, you know, <laughs> if Peter Molyneux was careful with the money that he made on the Fable franchise, I'm sure that what he's actually doing is crying about the state of the games industry while he's swimming around in his Scrooge McDuck style pool <laughs> of money. Um, you know, I, I think he's I think he's doing pretty okay. Twenty two cans, his development studio still exists, but they've been really quiet because Molyneux has been doing pretty good at keeping his promise of not talking to games media anymore because he always like <laughs> right. he always says things that blow up everyone's expectations and then finds himself in a situation where a lot of people are angry at him for some reason i'd like to tell you the primary thing that i know about the fable franchise sure you can do a side quest and i believe the first fable i've never played them this is something that someone told me mm-hmm. where you earn the title the pie master which you can then equip on yourself because i guess you can equip like titles oh interesting and then uh the townspeople will interact with you you know kind of based on what title you're rocking oh that's cool and when you have the pie master title enabled or when you've acquired it or whatever you can pass by an npc who will say oh there goes the pie master he's got all the pies (laughs) oh that's great. That's yeah. a really great thing to know about Fable. Yep. That's what I know about Fable. Yeah, the main thing I know is that like the second or third game has a dog in it. You can get a dog. Oh, okay. And I just remember like the marketing material for it. Like Peter Molyneux right. going like, this dog is going to change gaming as you know it <laughs> for the rest of your life. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, I think a new Fable game would be good. Yeah. Like a whole reboot of that franchise. It'd would... be fun to see what Obsidian could do with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
But anyway, that is all the quote-unquote news for this episode. Yes. Uh, none of it was officially announced, but that is what has been happening in in the industry. That That is the rumbling that we've been hearing over the past couple weeks. Accurate. So, uh, this is the episode where Sean recommended Into the Breach to me, and we will talk about that shortly. But first, uh, a little bit of what else we've been playing. Okay. Sean, what else have you been playing? I have been playing this mobile game, which uh, it's funny that this is kind of the second time I'm going to be talking about a mobile game that I've been playing. Right. Now, this is a game where I initially didn't want to play it because I kept seeing Facebook ads and every time I would see it, like, you know how sometimes you see a mobile game ad and they've clearly just kind of plastered their UI over, like, a pre-rendered cutscene. Yeah, and yeah. there's no way it's going to look that good. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, the, entire, I, the entire budget of that game was spent on the marketing for it, like those kind of mobile games. Right, yes, exactly. And you've got, like, Lindsay Lohan strutting around in a bikini going, like, play this game, like that kind of thing. I thought it was <laughs> going to be... What mobile game has Lindsay Lohan <laughs> marketed? Uh, you know, uh, Lindsay Lohan's lovely lunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, Quadruple L. I love that game. Yeah, you just eat lunch as Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> she loves turkey sandwiches. Yeah, oh, man, I can't wait to unlock mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> just 30 more hours. <laughs> wow, I finally unlocked Hellman's mayonnaise. <laughs> this will go great with Miracle Whip. Which I also put on my sandwiches. <laughs> I don't know where this bit is going. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was going to be one of those games where, like, the, the reality cannot possibly meet the expectation. But I keep seeing the ads and seeing the ads. And I'm like, okay, fine. Let me play this game. Right. So it's Honkai Impact 3rd. Right. I download the game. I open the game. And let me just say. The graphics aren't everything for me, right? Right, Like, yeah. you know, I would say that on balance, if, a game, if I have to choose between a game looking pretty and being kind of compelling in terms of gameplay and story and all that, obviously I'm going to go with the latter decision. Right, yes. However, there are also some times where a game is just so stunning that you open it up for the first time and it just sticks in your memory. Yeah. Like, I can remember thinking that about uh, Luigi's Mansion. I got my GameCube because I'd done well on a test or something. My parents right. got me my GameCube. Yeah. I pop in Luigi's Mansion, I open it up, and I was just absolutely floored by how incredible that game looked compared to all the stuff I'd been playing on the N64. <laughs> right. It was just such a leap. I couldn't believe it. Honkai Impact 3rd is altogether like an okay game. Right. But it is also the best looking mobile game that I've ever played in my life. Yeah. Like, if that game had been released for the PlayStation 3... I would have played it and thought, wow, this game is kind of okay, but, like, holy shit, it looks really good. Yeah. For that to be condensed down onto a screen that I can hold in the palm of my hand yeah, is just something that I find really impressive. No, like, yeah. Like, I mean, I think particularly in this day and age, you know, you just expect games to look a certain way. Like, it's not, you don't really see the graphical leaps and bounds that you saw, like, going from 8-bit to 16-bit. Right, right, 16 right. 16-bit to 32 and so on. Uh... And so it's really rare for me to just be blown away by the graphical quality of a game. Usually it's like, oh, this game looks nice. 
And so it was kind of cool. Like, I feel as though the experience that I had just going into the game world of Honkai Impact 3rd for the first time and kind of running around and seeing that, like, it really does look that good, that was kind of an experience that I hadn't had in a long time. Huh. And so, you know, even though I can see myself getting tired of the game's mechanics relatively quickly because it's kind of just like a gacha game, you know, like an action game. Right, and it's basically like the gameplay is basically just like Marvel Future Fight. You, like, you run around and you, you mash a button and there's a couple special move buttons you can hit on a cooldown right uh it's i think it's a little bit more kind of timing based like okay you're, you're doing combos but a lot of it is kind of like dodging out of attacks at exactly the right time and looking for openings right Altogether, though like i would say that you know if i'm going to invest my time in a mobile game it's going to be dragalia lost and not this right but there's just still it's still worth mentioning what a stunner the game is visually nice and is this the game where tanks are represented as anime <laughs> girls is uh, that what honkai impact is no they're they're like mecha or something they're oh. like androids or something i think okay the uh the story is serviceably translated like i've never looked at a line and thought what the fuck does that mean okay but the story is a little i i don't entirely understand what's going on quite yet okay uh, but it's but it's not like it's not the game where they're all guns. It's not the game where they're all battleships or whatever. Okay, you know? it's, it's okay. Not any of that. Well, that yeah, that that sounds like cool if kind of simple fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's worth checking out just so that you can marvel at what a graphical achievement that game is, and then yeah. you can delete it because it's probably big. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it does look neat though. I kind of look looked at the game over your shoulder, and yeah, nice. Uh, from a graphical perspective, you're right, pretty good. Mm -hmm. So on my end. Nintendo recently launched their Nintendo Online thing, mm -hmm. which has been, you know, fine. But they did also launch their online Nintendo Entertainment System games service along with that. Sure. So I've been checking out some of the NES games they've had. I tried Super Dodgeball, uh, kind of this arcadey dodgeball game because I loved... Uh, Super Dodgeball Advance for the Game Boy Advance, and sure. it's it's like that, but less fun and with a lot of slowdown and flickering. <laughs> and I, I tried out a few other games, but one I've been kind of sticking with, one I've been playing more than I expected of, is the original Legend of Zelda. Hmm. Uh, this is a game that I've obviously tried before. Sure, you know, played for like five minutes. I was like, oh, that's what this is, and then moved on to the <laughs> right. moved on to the next one. But I, I finally have been kind of trying to do a blind playthrough of Legend of Zelda. I never played it all the way through mm -hmm. and um, played it for a good hour or two, good couple hours at least now. Mm -hmm. So for pretty much the first time, I'm really experiencing Legend of Zelda. How's that going? I It's going kind of neat. Okay. It's kind of neat. I like the game's really old, <laughs> but it, it does some cool stuff. You know, yeah. it, it definitely like, the Legend of Zelda franchise definitely started with like a cool base, and and I haven't fallen under the temptation of looking at a guide or anything okay. just yet. And you know the game is kind of notoriously obtuse, but I have been able to sort of figure out some things on my own. I've beaten the first two levels, I've beaten the first nice. two dungeons of the game, uh, just kind of wandering around and finding them. And yeah, one one thing I like is that. A, the, the game does, like, feel pretty good to play. You know, controls are intuitive. Sure. B, it's a bit more forgiving than I than I anticipated. Okay. Like, I've been dying a lot in this game. This game's hard. Sure. Uh, enemies will just kind of wreck me. Uh, and what it does is when you die, you either go to 
first place that you spawn at the very beginning of the game or the beginning of the dungeon if you're in a dungeon. And I, I knew that. I knew, like, he died, you kind of had to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize is that you keep any item you've acquired already. You That's keep, pretty good. You keep all of your rupees, and basically, like, you're the only thing that inconveniences you is where you where you start. Uh, also, you, you start with, like, three hearts, regardless of how many hearts you have total. Like, right. you, you have, you know, three of your hearts are filled in, even if you have, like, six or five or whatever. And I think that was standard for a little while. Like, I know that's true in Ocarina of Time of Jorah's Mask, for instance. Right, so. right. So, basically, since I get to keep everything, even if I get, like, set back a while, it encourages me to keep trying. You know, it's like, well, cool. Like, I don't really lose anything. This isn't a roguelike. So... Whatever I acquire, I keep. Nice. And I get to keep playing. Yeah, so I've, I've got to do a couple dungeons and find, like, some nice secrets and some items and stuff. And I've gotten to experience, like, some of the game's iconic lines. Mm -hmm. Like, there was, actually, there was actually a point where, like, I go into a room in the second dungeon and an old man tells me, Dodongo dislikes smoke. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, this line. I still don't get what it means. <laughs> And then I like I go into the boss room and there's just like a brown what kind of looks like like a big old like I don't know like a camel or something like sort of like wandering around right, right. Uh, and it's not it's not responding to any hits I do with my sword and I'm like oh oh Dodong this is the Dodongo <laughs> and it dislikes smoke right. so I. So I put a bomb in front of it and it eats the bomb and uh, and and you know it dies, and I'm like the smoke is the bomb. Dodongo dislikes smoke. I was just like yelling Dodongo dislikes smoke uh, several times. I was in a room with with Sean and my yep. girlfriend, just like looking at me like I'm insane. And Amy Lee the whole time is just sitting there like I don't know what any of what you're saying. Dodongo dislikes smoke. <laughs> uh good times yeah i uh <laughs> like it's funny that game is kind of obtuse but it's also funny how intuitive it manages to be yeah and uh and i, I dig it yeah i i'm i'm planning on playing more of it i'm having fun i've been watching your playthrough on and off yeah and uh one thing that i did see and really appreciate is that, you know, there's a number of kind of vendors that, and uh, people who will talk to you in, like, caves or areas that you can go into. Yeah. And some of them are selling items, some of them are giving you hints. And then there's one you go into where there's just kind of three rupee amounts, and he says, mm. pay me and I'll talk! Yes, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can pay him some amount of rupees and he'll tell you a useful clue. Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of cute. You know, yeah. it's like you're, like, bribing this random dude in a cave to... Tell you how to play the game. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of neat little stuff like that in there. Yeah. You know, I think people kind of ignore Legend of Zelda now because it's such an old game. Mm -hmm. um, it is that. And it is. It is an old game. But there's there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah. If, if you're if you're looking to kind of learn, like, the the fact that you, you pay $20 for an entire year and I just get to play this game whenever you want, I do appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you sure. for that, Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. What else have you been up to? So we've talked about Spider-Man on the podcast previously. Yeah. However, uh, in between last episode and this episode, I beat Spider-Man. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of revisit the game. Um, I thought that uh, the finale was pretty satisfying altogether. Cool. 
I am uh, definitely looking forward to the Black Cat DLC, which is coming very soon. Uh, like next week, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah I, maybe it's, at the rate I added things, <laughs> we'll just say very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. I uh, Even after I beat it, I had a lot of fun just kind of going around the opening world and doing a lot of the stuff that I missed. Yeah. I did a couple of side quests that I hadn't already done. Uh, I pretty much did everything except I didn't do the side quest where there's like a guy where you can collect a bunch of pigeons for him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel like doing that. Right. Uh, and then there is another side quest where a kind of spoilery character issues you a number of challenges. Right, yes. And you can complete the challenges. And I'm just, I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like that. Right. That there's three ranks to each challenge. Yeah. And I kind of got myself into this mindset where if I couldn't get the gold rank, I just didn't want to do the challenge at all. Yeah. And so initially I was trying them all, and after a while I was like, oh, that's a drone challenge. I won't be able to do that. I'm just skipping it. Yeah. Because I knew I wouldn't have fun. And so I did a lot of the ones that I could do. I did the bomb challenges. I did the uh, combat challenges. Nice. Uh, the stealth challenges, I even though I love stealth in games, I had a little bit of trouble with them because I like to be very methodical about stealth and take my time. Sure. And when it's challenges, it's more like a stealth speed run. It's like, how quickly can you dash between a bunch of enemies and beat the shit out of them before they notice you? And that's not really my thing. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did the ones I wanted to do and I didn't do the ones I didn't want to do. Unlock some suits. And uh, yeah, man, that's just still a really solid game. Yeah, really great game. Actually, fun fact about Spider-Man is that 10% of everyone who's played that game has gotten a platinum trophy. Like That's a huge number that for is, a platinum trophy. Yes, exactly. That's a huge percentage of people that have essentially 100%ed that game. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, just a testament to how much people are enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And a testament to how just easy and enjoyable it is to do everything in that game. Yes. Um, d generally, like, the platinum trophy uh, percentage is more like... 0.3 percent you know <laughs> right yeah so no really impressive what else have you been playing so i i've been playing kind of weird game okay um it's a game that i hadn't heard of until it was recommended to me by our mutual friend tommy mm -hmm. uh and it's called jimmy and the pulsating mass that is a weird game yeah so it's uh you can get it on steam it's i think it's like 15 bucks and it's made an rpg maker Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's an RPG Maker game, but made pretty well in RPG Maker. And basically, like, I guess my my first impression of it is that it was yet another Earthbound ripoff, mm -hmm. right? Like, we're in the wake of stuff like Undertale. Like, a lot of people have been trying to jump in and inflate the Earthbound bubble a bit more before it pops, sure. right? And Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass, it's... It's aesthetic. the The sprites and the way they look are, mm -hmm. especially at the beginning of the game, are aggressively earthbound. <laughs> like it was, like actually made me uncomfortable how much they looked like earthbound sprites. But it it does something that a growing amount of these games in the earthbound esque genre. Mm -hmm. But it's good that it does it, and that is that it kind of distance itself. It, it does things that are very different than earthbound right. as it like goes into the second act of the game, okay. right? Uh, it, it does have its share of surprises. It has some really cool mechanics, actually. Hmm. When you defeat certain enemies, you you can kind of turn into them, huh. right? Like at the very beginning of the game, you defeat a slime, and then and then you can turn into the slime and sort of squeeze through <laughs> objects and stuff. Okay, squeeze through tight spaces and things. 
as you go through the game, you unlock more like field abilities and stuff. And uh, there, there's other really interesting things that the game does. U- ultimately, I, I'm glad I played it. Like Undertale, it's a game where the less you know mm-hmm. uh, going in, the better. Okay. I do. I do think that. I will come out of the end of Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass still favoring Earthbound, still favoring sure. Undertale, but Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass is is neat. It it does some neat things, like a lot of really intriguing narrative stuff that I that I haven't seen in a video game before. And really, that's kind of what I'm all about when I play video games. I'm all about new experiences, and uh, Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass is a new experience, even if parts of it are kind of derivative, even if the crust is something I've been into before. The the gooey cheesy center uh has has a flavor that uh that I can't uh I can't quite recall ever slurping up. Well I'm glad that you're enjoying your really disgusting pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you it's you, or you don't you don't eat your pizza crust first. You don't just like pick the whole pie up like it's a like it's a fucking uh, sandwich and just like just like clump into this into the edge. No. <laughs> well, no. then you should play Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass, my friend, because that is exactly what that experience is like. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> but for real, Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass does sound like a cool experience. It is. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I don't think you'd hate it. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. I. I think you dig it. Like I. Um. You know. Like. Uh. You. You. You still have yet to beat Undertale. That is um, true. I. I think that's not necessarily because you don't like the game. It's just kind of a, a timing thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of a doing a couple of podcasts, doing some other extracurricular stuff kind of thing. Yeah. 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 That's all the other video games we've been playing, which means we can get right into the video game you've been playing. Yeah. Yeah. So on the last episode of Play This, Sean recommended Into the Breach. I sure did. Into the Breach is a kind of a tactical role-playing game. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's made by Subset Games, the developers of Faster Than Light. Mm-hmm. Subset Games was founded by Matthew Davis and Justin Ma. They both... Were buddies that used to work at 2K Games. Right. Then uh, then they both quit. They decided they wanted to be independent developers more than they wanted to work for 2K. Mm-hmm. They got together. They started work on, on FTL. They put on Kickstarter. It made $200,000. Pretty damn good. Yeah, this was right during the sort of double fine adventure boom of Kickstarter games. Right. Before people started getting burned by games that were also Kickstarted around that time. <laughs> And then it released faster than light, and it was really good. People liked it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It was definitely like one of the Kickstarter success stories. One of the hey, Kickstarter's good, and this is why for sure. And they kind of ducked their heads into the sand and released their brand new game after they resurfaced this year into the breach. Yes, uh, came out February twenty seventh of twenty eighteen for PC, and it came out August twenty eighth for the Switch when it was. Shadow dropped at the end of a Nintendo Direct. Love a good shadow drop. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, so Into the Breach was developed by both Matthew and Justin, but they also brought on Chris Avalone. Yes. The writer of Planescape Torment and Fallout New Vegas, amongst a lot of other critically acclaimed stuff. Mm-hmm. To do the primary writing job. Yes. For the game, and it, it shows. Oh, yeah. Talk more about that later, I'm sure. And it was composed by Ben Prunty, who also did the soundtrack for FTL. Mm-hmm. Along with some other smaller games, a notable one this year was Celeste. Okay. Yeah. Released for the Switch at the beginning of 2018. Nice. And in Into the Breach, you are space marines. You are soldiers at the end of a timeline where Earth has been destroyed, or your planet has been wiped out by an alien species called the Vec. Yes. And... Or a very kind of insectoid. Yeah. And basically... At the beginning of each run of the game, you go back in time and try to save four islands, four continents, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they call they call them islands. Yeah, within the game they're called yeah, islands. Yeah, and save the four islands from being wiped out by the Vec in in tactical missions. Right. Uh, if you win, like if you if you beat the game, you've saved the timeline. And if you don't, you go back to the time you came from to. Try again. Right. So the gameplay ends up being kind of like a mix of like a turn-based tactics RPG and a roguelike mm-hmm. where you keep losing and and starting over with some of the things you've unlocked and the resources you've gained, but not all of them. Right. And like it, it creates sort of a loop that way. As always, uh, we will do our spoiler-free impressions of the game before we jump into our in-depth discussion. Although I think one thing worth noting about Into the Breach is that story-wise, there's not... Spoilers aren't really a big thing. Right. Like, a lot of the story is just kind of fluff to make the gameplay more compelling. Yeah. There isn't really a central narrative uh, to speak of. Yeah. However, there are some cool things to unlock and things like that that we're going to be talking about in more detail once the spoiler filter is on. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think the thing that gets that can be spoiled for this game is the things you can unlock as you play through, and some of those things are really cool surprises. Mm-hmm. If you if you plan on playing this game and you're the type of person that likes uh, that that likes to discover these things organically mm-hmm. and not be told about them beforehand, then then you know definitely stop at the end of these spoiler-free impressions and go play the game because we both like it. I, I think I think the bottom line is that we both like it <laughs> yes. and that it's definitely worth playing and probably one of the better games of the year. Having said that, you know, if you're someone who doesn't mind knowing, you know, kind of mechanically a lot of things about a game, there aren't really any twists or turns that we're going to spoil in yeah. the spoiler section. You know, it's really just going to be like, oh... You can get this kind of pilot or that kind of pilot or yeah. whatever. Uh, so if that doesn't bother you, uh, stick around. Yeah. So the spoiler-free impressions, mm-hmm. which you all get to stick around for. Yeah. Do you do you want to go first? Maybe go a little into why you recommended it to me? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, as you know, am a big turn-based tactics fan. It's among my favorite genres <laughs> of video game that exists. I sure do. I sure, sure do does. know that. Um, and I think that just in terms of kind of the core gameplay loop, in terms of the mission to mission gameplay, 
this is one of the most tightly and thoughtfully designed turn-based strategy games that I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Every gameplay element has a purpose and is well-defined and well-explained. Mm-hmm. You never feel as though... Like, sometimes you'll feel as though because of decisions that you've made, you've been backed into a corner that you can't get out of. Yeah. But for me, at least, it never felt like, well, you know, uh, this is the fault of RNG. This is the fault of poor game design. Right. It always felt like my fault. Yeah. And I think that that's just such a really novel experience relative to other games, games that I really enjoy. You know, stuff like Fire Emblem and XCOM, where so much of it relies on kind of taking chances and rolling the dice. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really remarkable that they were able to release a turn-based strategy game in this day and age and make it feel this compelling without those elements of risk. And so that's why I recommended it to you, because I just think that it's a masterclass in good game design, and I wanted you to see that firsthand. Yeah, I think, uh, going to my impressions, that that is a great way to put it, a masterclass in game design, because it really does, it takes it takes these genres that have been done so many times, right? right? The, the turn-based strategy genre, man, we've had we've had bunches of those games, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of them are great, a lot yes. of them are real good, <laughs> <laughs> but like it kind of takes a tired and true genre and really kind of reverse engineers it and like dissects it and puts it back together in a way that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a, like I think so much of Into the Breach is like, oh, why has nobody done this before? <laughs> right, Like, right. In, in terms of, like, things that they do. What's the thing in cooking where, like, you, you take a... You have a cheese sandwich, right? Uh-huh. And, then, and then the cook, like, just, like, puts the bread out and then puts the cheese next to it. It's like, I've prepared... Uh, this kind of cheese sandwich. Oh, like a deconstructed. Deconstructed. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, a deconstructed cheese sandwich for you. <laughs> cheese, comma, sandwich. Um, yeah. Like I see. The uh, Into the Breach deconstructs mm-hmm. tactical role playing games. I think that's a great word to use. I think that's absolutely what it does. And really reinvents the wheel. I, I guess usually that's kind of a negative phrasing, mm-hmm. but it really like it takes things that you're so used to about turn-based strategy games and then does them a little differently in ways that make so much sense that, yeah. that it's like oh <laughs> man like if if only people had gone back to the very beginning of how this genre was made and ignored some of these conventions that are actually kind of like stale and boring mm-hmm. and and not fun uh and some of them are fun but you made them fun in different ways now right I think Into the Breach really is just a fantastically designed video game, and the package in which they've designed it, the setting is really cool, mm-hmm. the the dialogue and writing really shine in yes. this game. It could have been enough that they just designed a game real good, but they've also given it so much personality mm-hmm. and made this game with kind of a like a low to mid-level budget, mm-hmm. uh, but polished it at such a level that it's satisfying to play as something developed by, like, Nintendo or Microsoft or Sony themselves. No, very impressive. Like, a great example of a game that sort of is made for the scale it's at and does it just spectacularly. I agree on all counts. Yeah, what, like, what a good game. This was a great recommendation. Thank you. And I'm... I had my eye on it. It felt like it could have been something special, and it really is. I, I guess, like, I've... 
I've checked out FTL, and FTL is also a well-made game, but I couldn't really ever get into FTL. It always felt kind of like dry mm-hmm. and and like the the mechanics were really there, but I I'm, I was the same way. It never really quite got its hooks into me. Yeah, Into the Breach, however, they they took their prowess at good game mechanics and really just made everything else click this time. Yeah. So, yeah, if if you if you just want to hear spoiler free impressions, game's good. Highly recommended. <laughs> Definitely worth playing if you're into turn-based strategy games or games that have sort of roguelike mechanics at all, uh definitely pick it up uh because this will probably be discussed during our game of the year discussion yeah at the beginning of 2019 so yeah, look forward to that <clears throat> shit in several months yeah but yeah that's that's definitely the the short and dirty of into the breach yeah so uh now we're going to get into in-depth discussion as always you can check the timestamps to skip ahead to the end of the episode if you like and yeah. we'll meet you there but again if uh if the main thing you don't like being spoiled on is narrative and you don't really care about hearing what unlockables are in the game or what kind of like you know what kind of new tools you get as you progress if that doesn't really count as spoiler territory to you then by all means keep listening yeah stick around all right here we go here we go so usually we discuss the narrative first but as as we've established um there's there's not a lot of narrative beyond like the the main hook the, yeah, the, the main sort of central of the conceit, game. Yeah. yeah exactly like yeah you got uh there there's vec they're aliens they they've ruined planet and you got to go back in time and stop them from ruining stuff right and just do that ad infinitum until you save the timeline and then once you do that there's more timelines to save because <laughs> this game doesn't really have a you know the game isn't really ever supposed to straight up end. It's meant to right. be replayed over and over. So it's got a game. So it's got a story that sort of encourages that loop. And that's really great, actually. I agree. You know, like there's there's a lot of games that are like meant to be replayed that have a lot of replayability and even multiple endings. But like if you get that, if you get a really satisfying ending on your first go, then usually if, if that happens, it's like, cool, put game down. Never see the 10 billion <laughs> other endings. Right. Go play something else. Um, that's not really ever how I play, but, <laughs> but I know a lot of people do play that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think even with games that are very replayable, I think a lot of times the urge is to beat once, then move on to the next game yeah. because there's so many games to play and got to got to move on if you want to play them all. But I th- I think that into the breach by virtue of that kind of loose narrative structure that it has and the central conceit that you're going back in time over and over again to save, you know, an infinite number of timelines from the Vec Menace. Yeah. I think that because of that, it definitely kind of becomes this game where there's this addictive quality to starting over and thinking to yourself like, ooh, but what if I what if I brought this mech? What if yeah. I tried this team? Mm-hmm. You know, what if I use this strategy? Um, yeah. It really feels as though there's a, an enormous number of potential kind of permutations and combinations that you can try out. And, yeah, uh, that's one of the things I appreciate the most about the game. Yeah, like, I love games that are all about the story. I mm-hmm. love games that are all about the story, but I also really appreciate a video game where the narrative, the story, is primarily there to serve the game's mechanics and to serve its game loop. Yes. You know? 
to nail home that this is what you should be doing to enjoy yourself. Yes. You know, like, I I think a game that just sort of gives you that conceit and then sits back and lets you play it is also great. Mm-hmm. It's It can also be excellent, just as excellent as a game that's 90% story and 10% gameplay. I which, agree. Which I have eaten the fuck out of up <laughs> before. <laughs> that was a sentence. Um... We're going to go uh, into kind of the the characters in the game in detail in a little bit. One thing that I did want to mention about the narrative specifically is that uh, Into the Breach was actually conceptualized because the, the game designers went to see Pacific Rim. Huh. And they kind of took note of the fact that an incredible amount of property damage is done during that movie. Right? Like the buildings are just getting destroyed left and right. But in the yeah. end, hey, it's okay because they, they, you know, they stopped the kaiju. Right. And, right. Uh, the day is saved. And so they had been, they knew they wanted to make a turn-based strategy game, but they hadn't come up with a kind of narrative conceit and a game core gameplay loop that would differentiate it from other turn-based strategy games. Right. And so the thought they had was, you know, what if it's your goal to stop the aliens from destroying buildings and killing civilians? Right. Uh, which is kind of what you do in the game, right? Yeah. Like there's there's uh, buildings and, you know, uh, power plants and things like that on various maps. And the Vec are targeting them as often they're targeting you and you're trying to kind of push them out of the way or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously, in terms of the gameplay, you are encouraged to do that because your uh your sort of health if you will is actually a power grid yes um that decreases as buildings are destroyed yeah and uh, when that goes all the way down then the timeline ends and you have to start over yeah but also there are these little speech bubbles that pop up (laughs) as you're playing through each mission yeah that are like the townspeople looking out of their windows and Uh watching the battle yeah you see like the speech bubbles like come out of the buildings basically right and some of them are just like wow look the vec or whatever yeah but then there's a couple of them one is like mom i want to see yeah like Uh there are a couple that are just gut-wrenching you know like you see and you're like oh i gotta protect that kid that building is not fucking getting destroyed while i (laughs) captain of the rusting hulks have anything to say about it you know i mean it really like you know props again to the incidental writing that was done because it's just stellar and it really sucks you in it really is i actually didn't realize that sort of backstory that they're like what if we made a game You know, like, the, these monster movies, like, seeing property damage is obviously, like, the part of the action. It's half right. the fun. But it's like, what if we made a game about fucking aliens invading a city where the message was property damage is bad? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's so actually genius. Like, it's such a funny take on the genre, you know, on kind of the mech versus monster genre. And it yeah. works so well in the service of this game. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Because, yeah, you got to... Like, yeah, protecting the buildings while also killing the Vec is a big part of everything, and it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, actually, I think that's a great way to segue into the game design, which is, man, game design's just good. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, A, the the way the tactical maps, like, kind of work out, right? Uh, Your your mechs all have... You have a team of three mech. Right. They each have a specific ability at the beginning, and you Mm -hmm. can kind of upgrade them to get new abilities and stuff over time, or upgrade their their existing abilities uh which is great i'm always i'm always a sucker for that shit yeah me too yeah i love doing that and just a lot of like spacing 
and moving characters around, both yourself and your enemies. Mm -hmm. There's so many moves where basically the effect is like, okay, you do one damage to this alien and then you push it a square away from you or you pull it a square towards you. I think that positioning is probably more important in this game than in any other turn-based strategy game that I've ever played. Yeah, no, it's, um, you have to do so much thinking about stuff, because, like, if you push them into a building, you wreck the building. Mm -hmm. If you push them into one of your other mechs, your mech takes damage. Uh, so the goal (laughs) is to move the Vec around so that you are pushing Vec into other Vec and making them wipe each other out. It's so fun. Yeah, or uh, like another thing is basically the Vec always move first. The Vec move first and then they sort of, they move around the board and then they plan their attack. You get to see what right. they're going to attack next. They and sort then... of telegraph it with like little zones that you can see where the attack is going to take effect. Yeah, and then your job is to basically make sure their attacks do not land on their targets by pushing them out of the way so that they're, you know, so that the laser they're shooting just hits air or to move other VEC in front of the VEC that's about (laughs) to shoot the laser so that the laser hits their ally VEC and the VEC explodes and they've killed your enemy for you, which is one of, like, the most satisfying things in the game to do. You can do these incredible, like, Puyo Puyo chains of that <laughs> hitting each other if you play your cards right. And uh, yeah, just very, very satisfying to pull off. Yeah, I think when you told me about the game and I didn't really know anything about it last mm-hmm. episode, I think the thing I said was, wow, it sounds like it's like it's a tactics RPG fused with a puzzle game. Right. And now that I've played it, I think it does legit feel like that sometimes. Yes. I I definitely think that's true, although I do also just want to impress upon our listeners that it's not a puzzle with one solution. Exactly. Uh, The cool thing is that, you know, there are so many avenues that you can explore for fending off or defeating the Vec, and uh, it really comes down, I think, in the end, to player preference. Yeah. Uh, Because for starters, there's so many different mechs you can have uh, that all have very different powers from each other. Yeah. The the breadth of solutions you have have to be pretty flexible. Mm-hmm. Also, calling it a puzzle game implies that there's a perfect solution to each map. And there a lot of the time there isn't. Sometimes you have to... I think a lot of the game design, a lot of what makes the game so engaging and so satisfying is that there's a lot of situations where you will lose a resource. Right. You have, like, like, either that Vec is going to hit that building or you can make sure it doesn't hit the building, but it kills one of your mech mm-hmm. or something else. Right. Like another so, decision that I found myself having to make a lot is because there's always these secondary objectives or tertiary objectives. Right. Um, and so there'd be a lot of situations where it's like, okay, you know, either this Vec can destroy this building or I can push the Vec out of the way of the building and it's going to destroy this power plant and I'm not going to get this bonus reward that yeah. I would otherwise get. Yeah, like, because or, the reward, the goal is, like, save the power plant. Right, or, like, yeah. yeah, like you said, you know, I can I can just allow this thing to get, I can allow the train to get destroyed, or I can body block this attack with my mech that has one HP. Yeah. Um, the choices that you have to make are, at times, very difficult choices. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they occur just kind of naturally as a result of playing the game is very impressive. Yes, yeah. The, the way that kind of works out like you you have to you have to like the game is 
like figuring out spacing, like solving puzzles, but it's also like making hard in-game decisions. Right. Like there's no like, you know, there's no like story decisions you have to make. <laughs> right. The game doesn't have multiple endings. Like either you save the timeline or you, or you don't. Mm-hmm. But they're they're tough choices to make all the same. And like, really, yeah, it's down to what kind of playthrough you want to have, which assets you want to keep throughout mm-hmm. the game. Do I want to fulfill every bonus objective and therefore get something called a perfect island where I get a reward for fulfilling every objective? Right. Or do I want to make sure all my pilots stay alive so I can keep (laughs) upgrading them and make them fucking monsters, you know? Yeah. 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 The amount of choice you have in a game that's not about making narrative choice is cool. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Also, the the progression systems are really cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, really, there's just a lot of cool ways to unlock things. Yes. Um, so you start with a single a single unit of three mechs and three pilots, and you go down to the islands, and there's a couple ways to unlock things. One is to recover things called time pods. A time right. pod will will crash onto the map at the beginning, and if you collect the time pod before it gets destroyed by a vec or something and then survive to the end of the map, uh, you can open the time pod, and sometimes there will be, like, basically reactor cores, things you can use to upgrade your mechs, Mm -hmm. and sometimes there will be new pilots. (laughs) uh, Pilots that you'll be able to use in subsequent playthroughs. Yeah, it's kind of implied that the pilots are, like, coming from failed timelines, and this was their last means of escape. Yeah. Which is another cool part of the narrative. Yes. And sometimes there will be weapons in the time pod. Yeah, you can unlock things that way, but another way to unlock stuff is basically there's achievements right and and unlike most achievements where you just get like a little playstation trophy or whatever (laughs) if you if you get an achievement in game you also get a coin for it Mm -hmm. and at the at the end of each timeline at the end of each playthrough you go back to your base and you can spend those coins to buy new kinds of mechs to buy new mech teams which each have their own set of achievements that you can then like you, you use that new team and then you get those team specific achievements to unlock more coins so you can unlock more max and so on and so yeah uh, that's another really satisfying loop mm-hmm. and you know there's team specific achievements but there's also global achievements like save this many islands block this many vec from merging that's another thing like some t- during some turns, Vec will emerge from the ground, right. and you get to see in advance where they're going to emerge from. So if you manage to push a Vec on top of where a Vec is going to emerge, or just stand on top of it with one of your mechs, <laughs> they will be blocked from emerging, and therefore will not like appear on the map and wreck your day. And there's some interesting calculus that you have to do there, because... If you block a Vec from emerging and then move away, they'll just emerge on the next turn. Right. And so you can, if you're not careful, wind up in the situation where you've blocked a bunch of Vec, but then you have to leave to do something else. And so suddenly, like, six Vec are coming up on your turn. Yes. Uh, And so you kind of have to really block judiciously and make sure that it's actually wise to do so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And of course, also, when a Vec attempts to come up and you are blocking them, your mech loses a health, takes a hit. Yeah. And so that's another thing you have to consider. Yeah. Uh w- one one like little side thing I like about the maps and the way they're designed is that in most tactics games, you know, there's there's lots of different terrain mm-hmm. in all kinds of tactics games, you know, like 
there's forest tiles and sand tiles and things. Right. And in most tactics games, if you get into a forest tile, that's usually good for you. <laughs> uh, because, like, in Fire Emblem, you go into a forest tile, and then your unit in the forest tile is harder to hit because right. it's covered by trees. So at, when I was first playing Into the Breach, I would instinctively put my unit over forest tiles a lot. I, like, I was not told that forest tiles were different in any way, but I was like, oh, <laughs> forest tile means right. good. I will step on top of the forest tile, and I'm sure I'll get some sort of stealth advantage. Environmental tiles in Into the Breach are usually worse. They're usually <laughs> bad for you. Yeah, like uh, as... if you're standing on an environmental <laughs> tile, there's something bad that can happen regarding that tile. Yeah, so like I, I went on the the forest tile with my unit, and then Avec attacked me while I was on the forest tile, and the forest set on fire, which set my <laughs> unit on fire, which then told me, oh... Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Environment tiles are bad. If you stand on a sand tile and are attacked on it, uh, it creates a cloud of smoke. Uh, And if you're in the smoke, then you can't attack. Right. And, you know, there's there's lava and stuff, but that's bad in most games. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like, I that that's one of many ways where, like, Into the Breach kind of subverts what you would expect from a tactics game. Yes. And I, I feel like it does that in a lot of ways. I'm kind of, I'm kind of blanking on some good examples. Can you can you think of? Um, I I mean I think that you hit a lot of the highlights. Um, I think that uh, you know one that you've already discussed, but not in the context really of kind of subverting turn based tactics tropes, mm-hmm. is the notion that you know um, the enemy attacks and then you attack. Like yeah. typically in, in a lot of other strategy games, it's the other way around. Right. Yes. And so it's cool that not only is the turn order reverse, but it's also kind of in a way that makes a lot of sense for the game and makes the game feel really unique. Yes. Uh, it also kind of uses the time travel conceit in a cool way where once per match, once per level, you can undo an entire turn you've done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do that once, and then the game's like, oh, you've used the power source that allows <laughs> you to do that, and it needs time to recharge. Right. The, the length of this of this uh, level, coincidentally. <laughs> no, no, that worked out. Uh, yeah. You can sort of get a, get a mulligan, get a redo on a turn where you might have messed up. Mm-hmm. You can do that once. And, and uh, speaking of the incidental dialogue, when you do that, one of your pilots will comment on the breach. Yeah. And usually they'll just say, like, okay, localized breach has taken effect. Yeah. But uh, there's a couple of really cute ones. Like, um, <laughs> my favorite pilot, and we'll talk about pilots more later, yeah. is Bethany Jones. I don't think hmm. you unlocked her. I did not, no. Um, and her thing that she says, I've heard that localized breaches can induce stuttering. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really cute. We've we've touched on this, but the incidental dialogue is really great. Like, each yeah. of the pilots has their own personality. Um, actually, is there is there anything else you want to say about, like, the game design? Um, I, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of good ground there. Yeah. Um, the, the game really is just well-designed. Like, all the pieces sort of just click together really well, and nothing seems superfluous. Everything... Everything is there for a really good reason. The amount of different combinations of strategies you can make, because every pilot you can get comes with its own special ability. Every mech you can get has its own stats and its own movement and its right. own and its own health. And you can combine those mechs and those and those pilots together in very inventive ways. Like you can, you can have a pilot that gives his mechs the ability to fly. So mm-hmm. you're just like flying around in a fucking <laughs> tank. Uh 
just like, yeah, all the strategies you can make, all the different situations that puts you in that allow you to utilize those strategies. It's really great. Yeah. So we've, we have been touching on characters and stuff. Like let's, let's move into characters because for them being such a minor part of the game, like importance wise, the game really has a great cast and yeah, it really, really uh, <laughs> like at the very beginning of the game, your first pilot is a character named Ralph Carrison. Yes. And you can rename all of your pilots and you can do that from the very beginning of the game. So I decided to name him Galf Jarrison. The best decision Daniel made. <laughs> and Galf Jarrison ended up being in so many of my playthroughs. <laughs> like I would I would be I would be on a different playthrough with a new pilot, and then a time pod would come down and Galf would be in it. His name would be Ralph again, so I'd change it back to Galf. And Galf. Dan- Daniel had this like kind of running narrative that he would do like the voice of galf jerison as this kind of james t kirk type character <laughs> galf jerison i've gotta save the mech just imagine that but for like 20 minutes galf's here to shoot <laughs> an alien where's the kids they're in the building and i gotta make sure the galf jerison doesn't let them down Galf's got a lot of work to do. So that's what that's today. like. Today. still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Into the Breach is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> the character designs are just distinctive enough mm-hmm. that, like, every character that showed up, I could come up with a voice for them. And that was a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, each of the islands has kind of a person running the island, kind of like a mayor or a... I think in this case, they're sort of meant to be like CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah CEOs or like corporate executives or whatever. Right. And, uh, and those, those characters also had like very distinctive personalities. Like one guy kind of just looks like a early to mid 2000s hipster, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's like the guy at the first Island, right. kind of scraggly beard and glasses. And, uh, it's like, Oh, I'm glad you're here. And, uh, but then there's like an, an older, like, hardened like grizzly woman mm-hmm. uh like in the sand island and, uh, and her whole thing is that she doesn't believe your time travel <laughs> yeah like, this time travel technology whatever it is i hope it helps because <laughs> things are really shitty here basically <laughs> yeah there's there's another island where like the the person running is just like a robot that is both that is my favorite island in terms of kind of aesthetics yeah and theme very cybery and yeah uh, just because I really like that, you know, you have this kind of CEO of this island who is herself sort of this computerized person. Yeah. And then her whole concern is, you know, like, um, here on this island, we have human life and also computer life and both must be protected. Yes. So there's a lot of situations where, like, there's malfunctioning robots on the island, but you can't kill them. Yeah. You just have to freeze them until she can, like, depower them and program them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I just really enjoyed uh, that kind of uh, narrative conceit. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, one, one thing that's great is that uh, there's a lot of, like, interspersed dialogue, like, when when you're fighting these missions... Uh, none of his voice acted, right. uh, it's all done with text, but it's still like, it's still, it's home in a really cool way. Uh, like whenever you like, you kill a Vec or, or a building gets destroyed mm-hmm. or, or someone dies or something of importance happens, like someone will probably chime in, whether it's one of your pilots or the corporate person, right. uh, that whose Island you're on. Sometimes when, 
when you make a mistake, like one one of the corporate people might be like, they will be avenged. The Vec will pay for this. <laughs> right. But other times it'll be like, what are you doing? You know, like, uh-huh. uh, and like that that train was going to feed my people for days. You yeah, know? yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's. Some sometimes your own pilots are kind of assholes. There's there's this <laughs> one guy. Oh, I forget his name. Um, Abe Asamu, uh, and he he was a cool unit because basically whatever mech he was in gained the armored property, which uh, which basically shaved one health off of any damage he took. Right. So sometimes he just took no damage from back attacks, <laughs> which was awesome. Yeah, Abe Asamu was just not happy with anything <laughs> I did. Like like I uh. I would upgrade his mech, and he'd be, and he'd be like, "I didn't need that," or, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or like, I'll upgrade him, and he'll say something like, "If you sharpen a blade too much, it will break." <laughs> like, he's, even if he's I, very like Genji from Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, even when you do well, at least Genji is kind of chill in Overwatch. You no, know? I, yeah, I just, I just mean in terms of like the kind of wise swordsman sort of thing. Yeah, going on. I, I think he's more like Hanzo, actually. You uh, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even when I did something nice for Abe, he had something mean to say, and that was for like the whole playthrough. But it's it's cool because every pilot had like distinct personalities. Yes, there, there's this girl Lily Reed who, whenever you give her upgrade, she's like, "Oh, my baby's looking better." Like she says, like really cute. She's just really upbeat and cute, and you know, aliens are murdering things all around her, but she, <laughs> right. but she stays really adorable. There's this guy Harold Schmidt that's just like a huge nerd, like he's this old guy, and. He has this cool ability where whenever you repair your mech, you push any adjacent, anything that's adjacent to the mech, right. like, away from you. Normally, uh, repairing your mech is kind of like, well, this is the only thing I'm doing this turn. And yeah. So it makes him really versatile. Yeah. And, like, basically whenever you kill a vec, he's like, well, at least preserve some of them for, <laughs> for data collecting, right. you know. Ah, Harold Schmidt, at least preserve some of them. Uh, I'm old. Harold is gonna get a robot. Harold Schmidt. Beautiful. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, my favorite pilot uh, is named Bethany Jones. Her uh, kind of uh, trait that she has is that she starts Uh. every uh, match with a force field uh, Uh. that can take one hit before it goes away. And so she's very useful to sort of like, you know, you can run over and... uh, block of x spawning if you need to or just tank a hit like it's just kind of a really useful benefit to have oh yeah that's really cool at the start of each uh match and obviously i like her because she's well written she's just a really fun kind of you know nerdy character yeah yeah um but one of my favorite things about her backstory and this is kind of you know the sort of thing that you really only learn after you've played the game for a while mm-hmm. is that she has a brother named isaac jones but their brother and sister in the sense that they were both born, but he survived in one timeline, and she survived in the other timeline. Oh. So they don't—they've never met each other before. <laughs> um, and I just love that detail of their backstory. Like that's the kind of thing that you can really only do in the, a game like this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really awesome. Yeah, Isaac incidentally allows you to reset a turn twice per battle instead of once. Ooh, so he's nice, he's Isaac. Really yeah. Man, there's. You know, there's a lot of time-traveling characters named Isaac. Is that like, is that because Isaac Newton? Is that uh, why? Maybe. Yeah. It could very well be. No, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. There's just, like, certainly one of my favorite things about playing this game was 
every time I'd get a time pot, I'd be like, oh, am I going to get a new pilot? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's so exciting to see who they are and what they're like and what they can do. Yeah. Um, and unlocking them is definitely one of, I think one of the best things about the game. Yeah, absolutely. That it definitely like, it's not, it's definitely an incentive to keep playing because even if you don't win, you might unlock new pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might get achievements that allow you to unlock more mechs. Right. It's, there's always an incentive to do another playthrough. So it's, it's just really addictive to just boot it up uh, play through a timeline, and then win or lose, you've probably gotten some value out of that playthrough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, there's also, in addition to characters really changing up the gameplay and and adding some spice, <laughs> there's, there's also mechs. And mechs are really great. Uh, as we've alluded to, there's teams of mechs mm-hmm. that you unlock, and you can also kind of make your own customized teams or play through with a randomized team. And both of those have their own sets of achievements that are cool. Right. And they're, uh, they're groups of mechs called squads. And each of these squads have very different play styles from each other. Yes. As you unlock them over the course of the game. Some of them are really cool. Uh, what would you say is your favorite squad? My favorite squad is actually one of the very first squads you can unlock. They're called the rusting hulks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are there's kind of a central conceit baked into each squad. Like there's one thing they're really good at. And in yeah. the case of the Hulks, it's kind of a combination of being able to, like mobility, like being able to get around to wherever you need to be on the map, and then yeah. they can also generate smoke. Yeah. And what smoke does is it kind of occupies one tile, it interrupts the attack of any enemy that steps into it or gets knocked into it. Yeah. And then uh, one of the Rusting Hulks, uh, the Rocket Mech, actually has a passive ability that electrifies your smoke and causes it to do damage to any enemies that stand in it. Yes. And so you just wind up in the situation where you're kind of zipping around all over the place, creating all these smoke fields. Yeah. And then, you know, creating them on top of enemies, pushing them into them, uh, and kind of finishing them off. It's kind of a death from a thousand cuts sort of play style. Yeah. And uh, in particular, my favorite mech out of the three in the Rusting Hulk is the rocket mech, mm-hmm. which kind of uh, fires off a rocket, you know, for whatever distance you'd like in a straight line. But also leaves like a smoke cloud behind it. Exactly. Behind it, it sort of puffs out this cloud of smoke. And so on the one hand, obviously, you could just kind of snipe people from range and the yeah. rocket deals a damage and knocks them back a tile. Yeah. But also, if there's an enemy in close quarters combat, you could just like turn around and fire your rocket off randomly <laughs> and get them with the smoke. Yes. And so the versatility there is something that I just really enjoy. Yeah. Um, that that one's a really cool squad. It's both really versatile and it's got some great synergy. You know, mm-hmm. they, they all just sort of come together to user different smoke effects in ways that combines into a really satisfying play style. Yeah. What is your favorite squad? Funnily enough, I think my favorite is another one that is unlocked kind of on the early side. Mm-hmm. Uh, theoretically, you know, you can unlock any, you can technically unlock any squads at any time. Some just cost more than others. Right. So the rusting hulks are the cheapest mm-hmm. max you can buy but they could also be the last one you buy in the game. Right. Uh, mine was one of the cheaper ones, I think, called the Zenith Guard. Ah, uh, yeah. Z- Zenith Guard is pretty cool because I I don't think the the synergy is quite as strong as the Rusting Hulks is. Mm-hmm. 
but it just has like a cool like balanced tool set in my mind. Okay. There's there's the laser mech kind of uh kind of this bipedal like two-legged robot that shoots a laser and basically it shoots it across like an entire line on the screen. Right. But the closer the closer to the mech the laser is, the more damage it does. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess actually there is some synergy because the other two units, the charge mech, kind of this little tank mm-hmm. uh that just rushes for like rhino or something <laughs> and the defense mech which both can just sort of push enemies and also create shields on top of buildings and stuff right uh good for defense so the charge mech and the defense mech kind of push enemies just in a way so they all end up in a line <laughs> and then you put the the laser mech in front of that line and just shoot it across the line to do damage of uh to do damage to every vec in that line, and that Very can be satisfying. yeah, that can be really satisfying, especially because they. I think this team kind of starts out kind of weak, but then like you can upgrade the defense mech to like just cover the field and shields, <laughs> and you can upgrade the laser mech to just do like ludicrous damage yeah. just with its entire laser. Yeah, Zenith card just ended up having a very satisfying playstyle. Oh, the defense mech didn't push enemies; it pulled That's enemies right. towards it. And, and you can actually get an achievement for killing a Vec by pulling it into yourself <laughs> and doing damage that way. And they all start with kind of low health, but you can expand that. And yeah, they're they're cool. I think I like Zenith Guard best. They're great. Um, the runner-up goes to uh, to the Steel Judoka, <laughs> uh, chiefly because of the Judo Mech, just a giant robot that defeats enemies by throwing it in an arc <laughs> over itself. Right. Uh, that's that's a really fun comp, the Steel Judoka. Yeah. Not because they're necessarily super effective. Yeah. But just because it's really fun to like grab a mech and just fling it into some lava that's behind you, or fling yes. it off of a cliff. Or, yeah. You know, whatever. Um, yeah. Pretty great. Yeah, that's definitely really entertaining. I really appreciate that the game lets you customize a squadron and mix yeah. and match whichever mech you want, including like having three of the same mech if you want right there's actually an achievement for that there's custom squad achievements specifically and one of them is beat the uh game using three of the same mech yeah i got very close to doing that using three jet mechs from the rusting hulk which are just jet planes basically right that can kind of leap over an enemy and deposit smoke where they are yeah uh you don't have the uh you don't have the passive damage that you get when you have the rocket mech in your group. Right. But you can still just like zip around, leave smoke everywhere, constantly interrupt attacks. It's very satisfying. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, it's it's really great just how many different combinations of mechs and pilots there are that just like change completely the way you can play the game every time. For sure. Always such a sucker for that amount of choice and that amount of uh, variety. Yeah, they definitely bring it with regard to kind of player agency in terms of setting up, you know, your game the way you really want to set it up. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So I think the last thing we have left to talk about is presentation. Mm-hmm. Mainly the visuals and the music, because there's no voice acting. Music's really good. Yes, I agree. I think that it really suits the kind of pensive and thoughtful uh, yeah. nature of the game. It does. It sounds, like, tense, but it, like, fits the background perfectly, and it doesn't uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel out of place at all. 
And I really love the graphical style of this game, actually. Me too. It's simple, but it does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, it has this sprite aesthetic, right? It uses it uses sprites instead of like polygonal models or anything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of games that use sprites sort of like to lean on the nostalgia right. and, and you know, just like try to look like an NES game or or even older, like, you know, like <laughs> like just put together like little little pixels in these really disgusting formations, uh-huh. you know? Like like you know that game like Super Brothers? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. Super Brothers is a neat game, but like that aesthetic like kicked off ten billion games looking <laughs> like that. And I don't like right. that aesthetic. Like and, and none of them did it as well as Super Brothers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but Into the Breach like has sprites, but it doesn't it doesn't look like it's trying to invoke a specific era right. of of games, you know, it doesn't look like it's trying to be a Super Nintendo game or an NES game. It just happens to use like a like an aesthetic that's filled with sprites, but they all look really good. Yeah, they do. And it just yeah, it it fits. It it looks very distinct and yeah, I I really like that it has its own style both both visually and musically and then then on top of that the gameplay and the writing makes it stand out it really is just a complete package you know yes. it, it everything like the, the music serves the the visuals serves the writing serves the gameplay it all goes in like this little loop mm-hmm. and it's good <laughs> um one thing i'd like to note about the presentation is that uh and i've talked about this on the podcast before i'm kind mm. of a disabled gamer in the sense that i'm colorblind right, right? yes um sometimes that can be very difficult for me depending on how the game artists choose to represent colors in their games and yeah. whether or not there's colorblind support yeah um into the breach does have a colorblind option it's very good oh hey awesome uh, yeah like uh it kind of it changes a lot of the uh effects that can happen to tiles that indicate to you you know whether abilities are going to be used and where if there's oh. environmental effects that happen sometimes it adds kind of little context clues in terms of like changing what the tiles look like and then sometimes it just changes the colors but it really just as soon as i enabled it it kind of immediately snapped to in such a way that it made sense for my particular kind of brain you know the way that my eyes function wow um and so really great job on that uh obviously i can't speak for people who aren't red green colorblind which is what i am right but uh, it was very helpful for me wow that's fantastic i did notice that like the game the game uses a lot of symbols also, mm-hmm. you know, to to note things and to yes. dictate what things are uh, as opposed to just marking them with colors. Yeah, that was very helpful as well. Yeah, that's that's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, I think we've talked about every element of the game individually. I think so. Uh, so it's time for final thoughts. Okay. I think that if you are a fan of turn-based strategy games you owe it to yourself to check this game out Hmm. even if you're not if it's just kind of a genre that you've always been interested in but nothing's ever really hooked you um i think that into the breach is absolutely worth picking up the price is right there's enough content that you will definitely feel as though you got your money's worth and i've said this already but i really can't overstate the degree to which this game is just so tightly and so well designed. Yeah. I mean, the amount of design-based frustration that I experienced playing this game 
is so low that it might as well be non-existent. <laughs> you just go in and, you know, maybe it takes you a little bit to kind of figure exactly everything out. Yeah. Um, but once you do, uh, and it doesn't take very long, Into the Breach is just such a joy to play. It really is. Uh, if you're someone who kind of enjoys really kind of sitting back and thinking about what your next move is going to be and planning things out, then uh, this is definitely a game that you will not want to overlook. Nice. Into the Breach is just, it takes the best parts of tactics RPGs and it takes the best part of roguelikes and then it takes parts of those genres that should have been the best parts, <laughs> but they never actually existed. And then it just <laughs> distills them into just a, a pure video game you know it's such a good video game mm -hmm. some of my favorite video games are great stories some of my favorite video games are great experiences but into the breach is a great video game yes. like it it has functions and it fulfills all those functions and i i haven't seen the game that tightly designed since hollow knight actually <laughs> so not right. that long a span of time sure uh, but like it reminds me of Hollow Knight in a lot of ways. It mm -hmm. it really like it takes it takes so many things we've taken for granted about a specific genre and just fixes them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it fixes them before we realize that they needed fixing. And man, it's it is it's just so satisfying to play. It's so easy to play. Like it's just a game that you can just pop open, do a mission, and then go do something else, and then come back later that day and do more. It's mm -hmm. It's a game that really makes me appreciate game design. Yes. Um, because there was a whole lot of thought put into the game design for this game. Even if you're, like, if you are someone who who likes picking apart how video games work, like, check this out. If you are someone that doesn't do that, check this game out because it's still really fun. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. still really fun and good and definitely a worthwhile recommendation. Uh, I think I will be talking about this game like for the rest of the year really you know cool. it's yeah thank thank you thank you for your recommendation sean absolutely good I'm, pick i'm I'm glad you liked it and i'll tell you one more thing i cannot wait to see what this dev team does next oh yeah whatever it is i am i'm there i'm at the door at 6 a.m you know metaphorically speaking like i am yeah. ready yeah absolutely because that's another thing i love they made ftl and they made it into the breach and you can kind of see like similar philosophies between both mm -hmm. but they are both such different games yes. so in the same way where i'm kind of on the edge of my seat waiting to see what super giant games mm -hmm. announces yet to see what they do after pyre right like i yeah i i would love to find out what is That was Into the Breach, Sean's first recommendation to me, Ooh. and a good recommendation. Thank you. Very good. So, up next, now that I've recommended a game to Sean and he's recommended a game to me, uh, we're going to do something that has happened before on Play This, where we both play through a game that we haven't played together. Right. The game this time is Soul Calibur Six. Welcome to a new age of history. <laughs> 
One of my favorite things about the Soul Calibur franchise is the Goofy announcer. The Goofy announcer is fucking great. Yes, I really hope he's coming back. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a Soul Calibur game. <laughs> the Swords of Time <laughs> have brought the clock hand into another time. I'm Galf Jarrison. <laughs> I was just going to make that joke. <laughs> uh, Galf Jarrison lives on. <laughs> In another time and another past. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Soul Calibur VI. Uh, for one thing... It is a first in more than one way for Play This. We have not done a fighting game. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, we have not done a fighting game yet. And a competitive multiplayer game that we're both playing through at the same time uh, is something that hasn't been done yeah. uh, as, as a recommendation yet. So I'm really looking forward to playing that. And I'm looking forward to playing Soul Calibur Six in particular. It's mm-hmm. It's got a lot of cool things going on for it. It's... Is part of obviously a storied franchise that we have both really enjoyed entries in. Yes, sort of a 3D arena fighting game where each character has a specific weapon mm-hmm. and they they duke it out that way. the The emphasis is is more on like landing precise hits and less on combos. Right. Uh, like it does not take a lot of hits to die in Soul Calibur, which makes it feel <laughs> like very high stakes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like kind of this medieval fantasy setting, and there's always cool guest characters this time the guest character is uh Geralt of Rivia yes from the Witcher franchise yeah. which is cool very fitting i think yeah he's yeah he uh not not the first like weird western pick we had Ezio in in That's another Soul right. Calibur game from wow. from Assassin's Creed but i think i think Geralt is mm-hmm. is still a really cool pick Really, it's even fitting thematically because one of Geralt's things in the Witcher games is that he has these two weapons, his steel sword and his silver sword, and you hmm. have to choose which one you're going to use depending on what you're fighting. Huh. And so in a uh, fighting game franchise that relies so heavily on the characters having special weapons, it's cool that he has a special weapon. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, Soul Calibur Six has some modes that I'm really looking forward to. It has... Uh... It has specific character stories, which I always love, mm-hmm. but also has a special story mode where you create your own character and go through kind of like a kind of like a I think almost an RPG, but with the but with the battle system is a fighting game. It's just the best when fighting games do that. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. Uh, so not only am I looking forward to playing through this game with Sean and and getting to experience it as a fighting game and also mm-hmm. as a story, uh, but also to have both of us make the the stupidest looking characters we can, and then uh, show those on the Twitter, yes. which I have been neglecting. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Any anything else you think is worth saying about Soul Calibur Six? Uh, I've been playing the Soul Calibur franchise on and off since Soul Calibur Two way back when. Same. And uh, so I've been absent for a little while. I think the last one that I played was Soul Calibur Four. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to diving back in. Yeah, I played a little of Five when it was on sale for like ten bucks <laughs> on Xbox Live. Right. I'm really looking forward to giving Six like more of a more of a shot and playing it like at the beginning. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I agree. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely see you then if you have stuff of your own to say about Into the Breach, or you want to play along Soul Calibur 6 with us and sort of send us your impressions as you play, mm-hmm. 
send an email to feedback at playthispodcast.com or tweet us at playthispodcast on Twitter and we'll feature it on the episode. As ever, we love uh, fan mail and responses to our Twitter. Uh, so if you want to say anything to us at all, feel free to. Uh, it's always welcome. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And in near future, we'll we'll have a way for you guys to get even more involved uh, for an episode. So stay tuned for that. Wink. Oh, wink, wink, wink. So, so with those winks, we'll send you on your way. Uh, until next time. It's dangerous to game alone. Play this! Eight out of ten. Golf Jerison disagrees! <laughs> Good night. Good night. Game over.